At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our series, Divided, Seeking Unity in a Fractured World, we're coming face-to-face with the division that seems to define the culture of our nation, our communities, and even our churches. Join us as we turn to 1 Corinthians to discover the unifying power of a people who follow Christ. I don't know about you, uh, but no one has loved me enough to lay down their life for me but Jesus. I've had plenty of people who have cared deeply for me, but only one who loved me so much that he laid down his life and paid the ultimate sacrifice. No greater love have a man than this than to lay down his life for a friend. Jesus today wants you to know that's how much he loves you. Today, I want to encourage you to receive that love. If there is one message that I want you to hear through the songs, through the sermons, through the testimonies of baptism, is that the cross changed everything. That we were trapped, all of us, in a cycle of failure and brokenness, in defeat and sin, but freedom came through Jesus. And how many are grateful that he went to that cross, that he laid down his life, and that he rose again on that third day, that all power is in his hands. How many know that he is worthy of all of our praise, all the glory and all the honor? Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Those, those two words, thank you, they seem to not be big enough to express all that's in our hearts, but we want you to know we love you. We're so grateful for all that you've done and all that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for your mercy, your goodness, and your grace. Thank you that today we get a chance to once again celebrate that the tomb is empty, that you're risen, and you're alive. Because you live, we live. Lord, it's been a hard week for many. For some, it wasn't easy even making it here today. But I pray, Lord, that everyone would sense that you're near, that you love them with an eternal and everlasting love. Bless us, Lord, that we might sense your presence. It's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Come on and give God praise. You can be seated. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. I want to say a big good morning to all of our friends that are watching us online as well. We are so grateful for you. I am fired up this morning and excited because there's so many wonderful things that are happening in our church family. I just want to share a few of them. First off, big shout out to the women's ministry of Woodside Troy. They had a prayer and praise gathering this past Friday. I don't know if any of you ladies went, but if you did, it was an amazing and incredible time. Can we thank God for our women's ministry? I want to say a special thank you uh, to Misty Legler, who's doing such a phenomenal job just uh, rallying our women to serve the Lord and live on mission for Jesus. Also, I'm pretty fired up this morning uh, to share with you uh, that God is moving across all of our campuses. Not only are there baptisms here and across most of our campuses, before it's all said and done, we're going to see 30 individuals plus profess faith in Jesus Christ. How many praise God for that? Um, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. 
I also want to praise God for what he's doing locally through our campuses. For over 10 years, we have been praying that God would bless our portable uh, churches with permanent homes. It takes so much effort and energy for our campuses that don't have a permanent place to set up and break down every week. And that's been the case for several of our campuses, one of which is our Detroit campus uh, that's been home to hundreds of people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and grown as a result of that campus, but yet the manpower that comes along with set up and break down and all the things uh, that displace you as a portable campus are obstacles to be overcome. Well, you've been praying with us. I talked about it at Christmas time to join us in prayer and to support it, and many of you through your generosity did. Here's the good news that I'm excited to share with you today. A few weeks ago, God opened up a door for us to be able to view a, a, a property, uh, a church, a building that is move-in ready, that's located in Midtown Detroit, right in the university district area, the hospital area, the business district, all come together right there, a perfect place for ministry. We saw it, we loved it, and this week, praise God, we signed a letter of intent to be able to buy that building so that our Detroit campus can move into a portable, uh, a permanent home. Amen? I want you to keep praying for the team over there, Pastor Fickray Prince, who helps to lead out uh, that campus. Uh, in the weeks to come, we still have some steps to go through before closing and move in. But I am so excited about what God is doing. And again, thank you for your generosity towards that. I'm also grateful for what God is doing globally through our church in just uh, a few short days. We're going to be uh, sending a team. I'll be a part of a team that'll be going to the Middle East and to Nepal. And then a little bit after that, we have a team going to Ecuador as well, uh, partnering with one of our partners, Extreme Response. So I'm asking for you to be play, praying for our short-term missions team as we take the gospel around the world and as we serve the global church. One of our big commitments is serving the global church. So that's why uh, several years ago we launched the Woodside 100. It was to, in many ways, to replenish the stock. There's so many missionaries that have been serving God for decades, they're approaching retirement. And we said, it's time to raise up a new generation, a young generation of men and women who will go and serve the global church. And I praise God that uh, month after month, I've been able to see God moving in the lives of these young people. And today, I get a chance to uh, lay hands on and pray as we send out another awesome young leader. Her name is Hannah Reichert. She's going to come and join me on stage today. Hannah has been faithfully serving the students of uh, Woodside, and she's been such a huge blessing in my daughter's life and the life of so many. And she has uh, said yes to the call of Christ on her life and getting ready to deploy to the Middle East. Can we thank God for Hannah again? Um, Hannah, um, I know this is um, a big chapter of your life that's about to start, but I know it's not without preparation and much prayer. As you get ready to deploy, how can we as your church family pray for you? Absolutely. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Thank you, church family. Um, there's a few things that um, we ask for prayer about, um, one of which being fully immersed in the culture. Um, there's lots of distractions back home, um, and specifically um, when we're in country, um, but just to be um, fully immersed to what the Lord is doing, um, to be 
to have eyes to see and ears to listen to see what the Lord is currently doing and how can we be a vessel to further continue that, to further propel that, um, to share the love of Christ and also push people towards the heart of Christ. Um, As we live out Romans 10 where Paul talks about how can one call out to God um, if he's never believed and how can he believe if he's never heard. Um, And so it's an honor and privilege to be sent out by Woodside um, and to be the hands and feet of Jesus, um, wherever he's called us, whenever he's called us, um, whether that's drinking tea or peeling potatoes um, or just walks in the park, um, just simply loving people and loving God. Um, And so I just pray that that's our heart posture. That's something that we continue to lean into, um, continue to abide in the Lord, continue to dwell within that. Um, And then also um, for us physically to be and spiritually um, to be a place where the Holy Spirit not only dwells, um, but delights in. That wherever we step foot into, whether it's a home, it's a village, um, it's a mall, um, wherever that may be, um, that the Holy Spirit dwells there and it dwells richly there. Um, and so we just pray for a great multitude of that, um, pray for safety and um, all the traveling that is about to come, um, but all glory to the Lord. Amen. Can you guys join me today in praying for Hannah? Extend forth your hands as we pray. Father, I thank you for a servant of the Lord. I thank you for a young woman who has invested her life into sharing the good news of Jesus and discipling others. Lord, as a disciple banker now, Lord, being deployed to the Middle East, I pray that you would go with her and the team that she will be ministering with. Open up doors for which no man can shut, Lord. I pray that the anointing of of God, that the power of the Spirit would be evident to her and to all that are with her. I pray, Lord, that she would uh, find herself having spiritual conversations with men and women who you have chosen to save. Lord, uh, just pour out your grace in every way, be it travel or provision. May her testimony be that the Lord has provided for all of her needs. Bless Hannah, we ask. May she go in the power of uh, the Spirit and in the love of the local church. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's thank God for Hannah again this morning. Amen. She's going to be in the lobby, and if you'd like to learn more about the Global 100, please go uh, to the lobby. Tom Gitter will be out there. Jared, one of our other uh, Global 100 uh, members, will be out there as well, and they'll give you information. Or you can just go to the website and just search under at woodsidebible.org, Global 100, and you can find out more information there to get trained, to get prepared, so that you too can be sent out to serve the Lord. Well, how many thank God for His Word? How many thank God? for the word. Amen. I want us to continue on in our series, uh, but I want to set some context. We've been in a series called Divided, which certainly captures the mood of the moment, the spirit of the age, the culture that we live in. We are a very divided culture. I think all of us can attest to that on every front, generationally, ethnically, gender, politics, wherever you find there's an issue, you will find that there is a spirit of division in our culture. And if we're not careful, it will seep within the church. And I believe that what we're looking at, what we've been studying in Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians, we've been studying 
How do we have unity? But I want to personalize a little bit more because maybe for you it's hard to think about how to keep the church united. Certainly for pastors, we think about that a lot. How do we keep the body of believers united in such divisive days? How do we find unity in a fractured world? But I want you to think about it on a personal level. And as I was preparing for this message today, I couldn't help but to think about what a difference a week makes. While I celebrate all the great things that I've testified to you about this morning, I also mourn with those who have gone through some severe trials over the last week or so. Over the last week or so, just a, f- a few things that, uh, that I know have happened. I'm sure there's many, many more, but over the last week or so, one of our campus pastors had to bury and eulogize his dad. One of our elders, uh, Bill Tonneson, his uh, beloved father, who's been such a sweet member here uh, to our fellowship and family, his father, John, died in his sleep. Over the last week, I've received three calls from members of our church to share with me that their doctor shared with them that they have cancer. Over the past week, I got a call from a family whose son, 22 years of age, committed suicide. Life is not easy, it is difficult, it is hard. And one of the challenges of trials and difficulties when they come into our lives is if we're not careful, they will produce division, not just grief, but division within our families. I'll never forget when my wife and I went through what is no doubt the toughest trial of our life, the loss of our son, our oldest son, a little bit over three years ago now, hard to believe still, And I remember how we grieved differently. I remember the tension in those days following his death, how uh, short I was with her, how much in grief she was. And and I remember thinking to myself, if we don't get some help, I don't know if we're going to make it through. But yet, God did see and help. And I praise God that in a couple of days, we're going to celebrate 25 years of marriage and God's sustaining grace and power. But I know that our enemy doesn't play fair. And I know that each one of you, if we were to pass the microphone around the room, has your own trial, your own challenge that you're facing. And the threat of a a difficult moment, again, it's not just grief. It's not just an overwhelmed heart, but it is the division, the isolation that fractures families and separates friends and causes there to be division within not just our world and culture, not just the pews of the church, but even within our homes. So the question that we have to deal with today is, where do we go to find wisdom? The wisdom that we need in order to remain united in a divided world in the face of difficulties in a moment that tempts us to separate, to divide, and to isolate. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. If you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is exactly what Paul is dealing with. He's dealing with a church that's up under a lot of cultural and societal pressure. To be a Christian in Corinth was not easy. Corinth was a city that was known not only for its affluence, but it was known also for its worldliness. It was a a city that was marked by hedonism, by the pursuit of pleasure. Anytime you have money and money, 
people who aren't connected or grounded in God, you're going to have all types of sins. Your, your mind obviously can imagine what type of immorality that was happening in Corinth. And if you were to read this letter and the subsequent letter, what we label uh, 2 Corinthians, you would see all type of gross immorality that was not just existing outside of the church, but was coming into the church. You see, the culture around us will begin to affect us if we don't have a proactive plan, an intentional plan to be grounded against those encroaching forces. And so Corinth, this young, burgeoning church, is feeling the pressure of being a Christ follower. And in the midst of all of this, and the cultural pressure and the moral displacement that they felt, Factions begin to form. Divisions begin to form. People within the church begin to turn on one another. And just to set the context, go with me to verse number 10. It won't be where we camp out today, but just a way of reference and remembering what Paul and why Paul had to write this letter. He says in verse number 10 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and of the, and of the same judgment. Now, the Apostle Paul, whenever he wanted to show that he was serious, whenever he wanted to show that this was no joking matter, whenever he wanted to carry heavy weight, he used this phrase, I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus. There is no higher appeal. There is no greater authority. What Paul is saying is, I got to deal with something that is of the gravest level of seriousness, and that is your unity. The unity is not a luxury. Unity is essential. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced from the reading of Paul in the New Testament that the speed of the gospel spreads based on the strength of our unity. That when we're divided, we hinder the speed of the spread of the gospel. When we're having infighting and civil wars and divisions among us, when our homes are fractured and our churches are divided, then we hinder the spread of the gospel of Jesus in our communities and around the world. So Paul was right. He said, I plead with you, be united of the same mind and of the same judgment. But were they? Verse number 11 reveals a different story. He says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And what I love about Paul is that Paul doesn't do what many of us do. He doesn't play mind games with this group of people. He doesn't say, you know, somebody's been telling me. He doesn't say, there's a group of people whispering behind your back. Let me just say to you that that is uh, such an unfair game to play. That if there's an issue that needs to be dealt with, have the courage to put your name on it. And if someone doesn't have the courage to put their name on an issue of complaint, then don't you feel the pressure to take up their cause. If we're going to deal with one another in integrity as brothers and sisters in Christ, then we have to be able to name not just our concern, but if we're going to reconcile, we have to name who's carrying that concern. He says it was Chloe. Chloe, one of the leaders of the church. Chloe, one of the influence is, is concerned about the state of the church. 
And so she's so concerned that her and others within her household write to Paul that the church is dividing. And how are they dividing? Verse number 12, what I mean to be more specific, Paul says, in other words, is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Then he asks the most important question, is Christ divided? Let's not make that a rhetorical question. I want to ask you specifically, is Christ divided? Come on, answer the question. Is Christ divided? Is heaven divided? Is the Trinity divided? No, Christ is not divided. There is no division in heaven. But yet, within the church, those of us who are his followers, from their time to our time, there have been divisions. Now, how did they divide themselves over personalities, over abilities and giftedness? Apollos was an eloquent speaker. Paul even admitted himself that when I stand before people, I'm soft-spoken or weak in speech, but I'm strong in the written letter. Paul was far stronger in his writing than he was in his public speaking. And then there's Cephas, which we call Peter, the elder statesman of the bunch, the anchor apostle, if you will, who wouldn't want to be associated with him. And some said, I'm associated with Christ, and it was, it was all foolishness. Paul goes on to say to them in verse number seven, as they align themselves around who baptized them, he says, for Christ, I'm sorry, verse number 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul says, listen, I didn't die for any of you. Only one is worthy of worship. Let me just be clear. You will have many leaders in your spiritual life. There will be pastors and teachers who will pour into you. But how many know there is only one King of Kings, only one Lord of Lords, only one worthy of worship, glory and honor, only one who died for you, who loved you, who demands your allegiance and deserves it. How many know his name is Jesus, the risen and resurrected Savior, worthy of our praise, worthy of the glory and worthy of our allegiance to him and him alone. Paul says, no, there's only one message we preach. And this is the crux of my message today. This is where the wisdom for unity is found. It's in the message of Christ crucified. As a matter of fact, we're going to go into verse number 18 in a moment, but I want you to make note, note of this, is that God's wisdom and power are in the message of Christ crucified. The wisdom we need to be united in a fractured world, the power we need to stand against the forces of a divided culture, the power we need to endure difficult days and not fall apart or separate from one another, that wisdom, that power, is found when you and I commit and agree to submitting ourselves to the message of Christ crucified. 
If we don't agree to submit ourselves to the message of Christ crucified, then we will not stand together in unity. See, that's what unites us. Notice it's not our geography that unites us. It's not our shared ethnicity that unites us. No, our unity is not just skin deep. Our, our unity is not based off of political party or the philosophies of the world. Our unity is based off of something that is supernatural, something that defined all of human history, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As one theologian put it, if Christ is raised from the dead, then everything else is but a footnote. Everything else we are debating and fighting over is a footnote if Christ is raised from the dead. If Christ is raised from the dead, that means he forgave me of my sins. So if he forgave me of my sins, I can forgive you of your sins. If Christ has risen from the dead, that means grace has come. And if grace has come to me, freely I've received, freely I should give. If Christ has come, that means redemption and reconciliation has come to you. And if you have been forgiven and redeemed, then that same mercy that you have received, you should be willing to give. You see the resurrection of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, his death on the cross and his subsequent uh, triumph, it defines everything. It changes everything. Like C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christ for the same reason I believe in the Son, not just because I can see it, but because of it, I can see everything else. I believe in Jesus because I believe in the cross, because it's through the cross that everything else in life makes sense. I can't make it through divisions. I can't make it through difficult days. I can't make it through trials or tribulations and hold my family together, hold the church together, be united with my brothers and sisters in Christ unless I am submitted to the message of Christ crucified. Everybody with me? And so then Paul begins to contrast the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of God. Look at what he says in verses 18 through 20. He says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? That's the first point, friends, is that the world's wisdom is foolishness. The world's wisdom is empty. The world's wisdom will lead us to perishing. Here's what Paul says. There's a choice that you and I have to make. Either we're gonna follow the wisdom of God Evidence through the cross of Christ, or we're going to follow the wisdom of the world. Now, he says that to those who are perishing, they've made their choice. The cross to them sounds foolish, so they have chosen to follow the wisdom of the world. And then he asks, but where have your philosophers ended up? I thought about that. I begin to do a little research on some of the great philosophers of the modern age. How many have ever heard of Frederick Nietzsche? 
Anybody ever heard of Friedrich Nietzsche? He's a, he's a German philosopher. I'm not encouraging you to read about him if you haven't learned about him, but if you know a little bit about him, you know that he rejected God. He lived in the 1800s. Here's the summation of his worldview. He says, there are no facts, only interpretations. There are no facts, only interpretations. That was his way of saying there's nothing absolute. Everything is relative. There's nothing that is concrete. Now, imagine living your life that way. It might lead you to insanity like it did to Frederick Nietzsche. He died a madman. He was absolutely insane. Why? Because that philosophy of life cannot hold up to reality. As a matter of fact, the statement is self-defeating in and of itself. How can you say as a fact that no facts exist? How can you say absolutely that everything is relative? The statement in and of itself is self-defeating. But Nietzsche, one of the great philosophers of our age, and here's the sad thing about it, many followed after him. Maybe if you've read literature, you know the name Oscar Wilde. Anybody ever heard that name before? He was an Irish poet and playwright. Here's what his worldview said. Everything in the world is about sex and power. Now, some of you may be tempted to say amen to that. Where does that leave you? Well, where it left him was sick and infirmed. He died ill of a sexually transmitted disease because he lived out his worldview. He prioritized pleasure as the highest pursuit. And when you prioritize pleasure as the highest pursuit, the thing that you pursue will ultimately be the thing that defeats and conquers you. He was lonely, he was isolated, he had no companionship at the end of his life. Why? Because he surmised that the ultimate pursuit of life can be boiled down to power, to my pleasure. Ayn Rand. Anybody ever heard of Ayn Rand before? Some of you have heard of Ayn Rand. She was a Russian-born American writer and philosopher. She says this, achievement of your own happiness is the only moral purpose in life. Achievement of your own happiness is the only moral purpose in life. In other words, YOLO. You only live once. Just do you. This was her philosophy. And the sad thing is, is that many follow her philosophies, read her books, applied it in academia. And where did it leave us? Whenever you prioritize the pursuit of pleasure over what is best for people, you are already empty and bankrupt. Decay and death are already settling in and there is no way for unity to exist. What Paul is dealing with is the question, where do we find wisdom and power to stay united when the forces of this world are calling us to divide against one another? Make no mistake about it, if you are single and thinking about getting married, as soon as you get married, there will be forces from our culture that will constantly bombard you, telling you to divide and separate. At every front, at every problem, at every issue, at every downturn, in every valley, you'll feel that. Whenever you're a Christian wanting to work with other Christians to do something redemptive of good in the world, every time there is disappointment or misunderstandings, there will be pressure to divide. 
So where do we find the power for unity and the wisdom to survive that onslaught? Not in the world's philosophies, but in the foolishness of the cross. And praise God for the foolishness of the cross. Because the cross sounds like foolishness to those who are perishing, but it really is wisdom. Let's read further, if you will. It says here in verse number 21, but since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through uh, wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. He goes on to say, for Jews demand signs and Greeks wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is Paul at his rhetorical best, saying that God's foolishness, in quotation marks, is wiser than men's wisdom. God's weakness is stronger than man's strength. That when you think about God's wisdom, it is the only power to save us and unite us. We believe that God is the greatest being ever. How many believe that? That God is the greatest being ever. Well, wouldn't it make sense? Wouldn't it make sense for the greatest being to demonstrate the greatest ethic? And what is the greatest ethic? It is love. And wouldn't it make sense that the greatest being demonstrating the greatest ethic would do it in the greatest way? And what is the greatest way to demonstrate the greatest ethic of love? It is through self-sacrifice. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The greatest being showed the greatest ethic in the greatest way so that you and I might live. And if we are wise enough to heed the message of the cross and to follow him, then and only then will we know unity, love, and salvation. And that unity has the power to reach the world, to transform nations, to restore broken families, to heal marriages that are crumbling right before your eyes. It is when you and I see the beauty of the cross, the God who offended no one, sent his son who committed no sin to die for us who were guilty and undeserving of his mercy and grace. And if you and I could grasp that and receive that love, and be empowered by his spirit to give a love that is foreign to us and beyond our ability to manufacture, then not only can we be saved, but so can those who seem so far from Jesus. So can those who have offended us and wounded us. And friends, this is the message of the gospel, that your salvation is not an end unto itself, but it is a means to a greater end. God, show you mercy so that you can show mercy. God, show you grace so that you can show grace. God has blessed us so that we might be a blessing. So let's choose wisdom. Let's not follow the emptiness and the foolishness of the philosophies of this world, but let's follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. Everybody stand with me this morning. And as we stand, the message that is set before us is have you received his grace? Have you surrendered your heart to him?
Have you received his love? And if you have not done that, do that today, whether at home, just type connect in the comment section of your computer or phone, or here as soon as we are done, run to the front and we'll pray with you or to the connect desk. But don't leave here without receiving the love of Jesus. We're going to worship him and thank him for the cross and all that he's done for us once more. But let's pray. Father, we love you. You are good and worthy of our praise. Father, we thank you that you have put to, to naught the, the wisdom of men. and You've exalted the wisdom that comes from you alone. So, Father, we pray that we would walk in that wisdom and that you would help us to be united in these difficult days, in our families, in our homes, in our church. And Lord, as we witness to a world that desperately needs your salvation, we love you, Jesus. And it's in the matchless name of Christ we pray. And all God's people with a loud voice said, amen and amen. Come on and give God praise. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.